This is a Media 8 production. The first beer goes down easy. It's bubbly, it's sweet, tickles the back of your throat. The second beer, you're starting to enjoy it. You kick back, get a bit more relaxed. That's the third beer, Brett. That is, it's the third beer that we hit that vibe. A certain mellowness comes over. It's a golden light nectar, I would describe. The pub turns into a very happy place, and you hit that spot that's just right. And our third beer is a special guest each week that we get to interview and have a chat to not only about the beer, but also about life and other stuff that men don't talk about. I'm Brett McCallum. I'm Chris Dixon, and we'd like to talk about the third beer. A clean, laid-back lager. No carbs, no sugar, no preservatives. This is Big Head Beer. Hey, Chris. G'day, brother. How you doing? Good, mate. You ready? Where's the opener? i got the opener here. Are you ready to here you ching, go. ching? At least remembered the opening this week. It was a bit dramatic last week, wasn't it? A few oh. cut hands. We got there in the end. We did. What's a bit of broken glass? Cheers, brother. Friends. Cheers. So who you got right. for us today? I've got a uh, mate of mine, uh, Kieran Byrne. How you doing, Kieran? Oh, very well. Thank you for asking me to come. No worries. So well, I hear a rumour that Kieran doesn't drink beer. Exactly. And the reason for that? Kieran, would you like to uh, let us know? I was born with a... Uh, rare hereditary condition, uh, fructose intolerance, and I'm missing an enzyme in my liver that breaks down fructose, so. Oh, wow. How'd you find that out? Um, I think my parents were protective, and when I was younger, I was really uh, allergic to anything sweet, so I just mm-hmm. spit it back out, and my parents never forced me to have it. But then I got really, really skinny and really sick, and I started taking me around to all the doctors, and 30 years ago, you know, no one knew anything about it. Yeah. So eventually, no one knew anything, and then eventually took me to a, a doctor. Said, "Oh, it's probably not this." Um, gave me some sugar. Went to a coma. Wow. Um, brought me back out. Said, "I oh, probably have this." It was probably that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good condition. Yeah. So then they yeah did liver biopsy and stuff and identified. So does that it. mean you've never touched alcohol? Yep, don't have alcohol. Have you tried it? No. That's good on you. I reckon that's awesome. Yeah, and we at the third beer like to respect uh, we do respect those uh, interviewers not to uh, drink and have a drink. Appreciate it. It also (laughs) means we're going to have to drink more beer. I think we're going to have to have one and a half beers today. All right, all good. Would you like me to read the bio out? Here we come. There you go. I'm on. I'd love you to read the bio out. Welcome to the third beer, Master Kieran Byrne. Thank you, Chris. Mate, I'd like to tell the uh, listeners uh, a little bit about you. That's all right. My guest. Okay. Kieran Byrne is a husband, father, and psychologist, teacher, personal trainer, and basketball coach. He's been practicing psychology since 2003, teaching in various adult and child environments and coaching on many different levels. Mostly enjoys the challenge of connecting with people and helping them to identify and overcome self-imposed barriers. He's known Chris Dixon for the better part of 17 and a years. Oh, come on. I'm going to cry. Can you just tell us who he really is? And he loves to help people one person at a time. Now, oh, bugger that. A... Tell us who he really is. Come Mate. on, Chris. Chris didn't get back to me, so he didn't tell me what he needed. <laughs> no, no, that's a good thing about up. this. That's not what he needed. Now, tell us who he really is. Kieran is a, a beautiful man, a yeah. wonderful friend. Um, he's a good bloke. Um, he does have a passion for connecting and helping people one at 
most of the time. And I like that little uh, intro there because that's been an ongoing conversation we've had over many times. And often when we're feeling down and out, we remind each other that uh, our life and our work life is about just assisting one person at a time. It's very true. That's all you can I'm do. the one person. You've done it for me. Oh, man. There you go. So do you know who I am? Not at all. Not at all. So I'm Brett. So nice, love, nice to, love to meet you and thanks yep. for joining us. Um, I'm his sidekick on this podcast, but uh, in real life, he's uh, changed my life. Um, so I come to see Chris uh, about a year ago now, yep. and um, he's given me the tools and the opportunity to actually change the way that I live. And uh, I think I'm very thankful for him for that. Um, at the same time, is he's taught me how to meditate, slow down, do all that sort of stuff. And I'm, once again, very thankful for that. And at the moment, just an update. Lost another 800 grams this week. Congratulations, big fella. So um, I'm in the process of dropping kilos. I've, I've done an, I'm doing an eight-week challenge at the gym. And, uh, yeah, I've started intermittent fasting and, and that sort of stuff. It's awesome. That's two kilos now. I know. How good's that? That's I only one got kilo about 18 week. That to go. That's what it was. So I love the update on the quadcast. No, well. on the quadcast. <laughs> on the quadcast. <laughs> I'm not talking correct. <laughs> but yeah, so Chris and Chris and I have been uh, have been chatting now for a long time, and this is something that we really wanted to uh, to do. And he came up with the idea of the third beer, and that came from the fact that he, he's taught me how to get that third beer feeling. You know, when you have the first one, you oh, you wouldn't. No, <laughs> sorry, no, don't know, but, <laughs> that okay. first bottle of water. <laughs> no, but you get that third beer. So you have the first one, you throw that back because you're thirsty. And the second one, the third one, you just ah, and you just chill. And that, um, that's that's why it's called The Third Beer. And then come up with the concept of interviewing The Third Beer, which in this case is yourself, or The Third Non-Beer in this case. It's the uh, bottle of water this week. Bottle of water, which is all good, which is all good. But that's, so that's who I am. That's how I fit into this little picture. Um, I also do a lot of podcasts and do some stuff, interview some pretty awesome humans, yep. and uh, hence the name of the podcast, Awesome Humans. And, uh, yeah, and then so on this on this merry little go-round that we're playing now, I'm, I'm Chris's sidekick, and I'll just throw things in every now and then. And, and this is our attempt. This is our help, attempt at therapy online. To help more than one person. <laughs> exactly. Time, talk about stuff people don't want to talk about. All right, today we're going to talk about uh, how would you define it, Kieran? Um, we're going to talk about self-determination. Self-determination. So basically, um, you know, people know about intrinsic motivation, extrinsic motivation. Um, but they do they? What's the difference? Intrinsic is, I guess, motivate. You're motivated from internally, mm-hmm. um, and extrinsic is when something external motivates you. Okay. Makes um, sense. But I guess you really lose your intrinsic motivation uh, once you get a little older. The world starts to tell you to do things. So when you're a kid, you're just playing, you're doing whatever you want, you can play as long as you want. But then you may grace grab something that your parents don't want you to play with, and they say you can't play with that. So therefore, now you've got an extrinsic um, force that's like okay. acting on your yeah motivation to play with something. Uh, so you kind of lose your pure intrinsic motivation quite early, and then there's a bit of a continuum from uh, that pure intrinsic motivation moving into purely external motivation where you don't want to do something but you have to do it because yeah so just for the punters yeah uh, intrinsic is internal yeah and extrinsic is external yeah yeah so like a goal gold medal might be an external yeah yeah it's more it's more uh, extrinsic so the idea of the self-determination theory is continuum so you might like value the gold medal a lot and therefore everything it gives you, you know, get fit, get strong, have good friends and all those things. So that's more, um, your, your motivation is more self-determined because you value that so much. Um, whereas if, for example, your parents made you 
trained every day and you hated it and, and you really resented them against it, you didn't want to do it at all, but you did it anyway, then that's really stressful. Okay. And can you uh, tell us some of your personal history that led to this uh, this exploration? Yeah. So I was uh, coached basketball and um, I was lucky enough to be involved with some very good coaches and we won some state championships and uh, we won three under 18 state championships in a row. And, uh, Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, well done. But yeah, so you think you, you know what you're doing. And, um, you never know what you're doing. No, you work it out really quickly. <laughs> you know, the ego steps in. Goes, oh, gee, you know what you're doing. This is really good. And, um, you know, you just do this. You repeat this. This is how you win. And because uh, there's different teams, obviously, and still, we still won. Anyway, so I was lucky enough to coach a uh, under-18 team that, that had um, was very talented. And they had three – we had three kids who ended up playing for Australia, like the open men's team. Who were they? We had Clint Steindl. Brock Murder and Tom Gestos. Oh, fair bunch. Yeah, so then we had, and everyone else played state. So pretty much we had just an unbelievably stacked team. Um, but they just wouldn't listen to what I said, like basically. So I was trying to get them to play, because our athletic and strong coordinator, I was trying to get them to play uh, more up tempo, fast up and in, you know, use their length, use their, their, their advantage. But they played very conservative. Everyone played very conservative, stood off, um, you know, tried to force people to. I guess score over them, but no one would actually make a play. Um, and I was trying to get them to engage and you know push their own boundaries and try a lot of different ways. And I'd done psychology, so I'm trying every you know psych- psychological kind of thing I knew and effort stuff, and none of it worked. Um, and then we we were losing the teams that talent wise we probably shouldn't have. Um, and that ta- other teams were talented too. We had like the team that won it had uh, Brendan Tees who plays for Adelaide. Matt Carter, who went to Ags, and a few other guys. So there was there was talented kind of age group, but um, Logan had Mitch Young, who plays for the Bullets. Yeah. So it was a talented age group, but uh, I still felt that we we probably had the most talent in our team, and I just couldn't bring it together. So anyway, after um, after losing, coming six and seven or something, I decided that I needed to review everything, revamp everything, and think about you know, how can I. What can I do to help kids to yeah fulfill their potential? And I realized I had nothing to do with me, and uh, the easiest way to do it would be to change the environment. So the logic behind it was, you know, if a room's cold, you put on a jumper. If it's hot, you you put on a singlet. So if you can change the environment that kids learn in, then they're more likely to feel comfortable changing their own behavior to suit that environment. So the self determination theory basically allowed me to create self determination. Subdetermined environments that would promote kids' love for basketball, love for being creative, and all these other things that uh, would eventually lead to change that would improve their their basketball ability. I guess, and that was the. Yeah. But it also improve them as humans too, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, the the benefits of doing that, are, you know, they're, they're much more varied than just you know basketball. So you, know, you learn how to overcome challenges, self doubts. You learn to be creative again. You learn to work out what you love about certain things, and you you take ownership of your own your own life and your own brain. I guess so. It's, there's a lot of benefits to it, aside from just basketball. That was the only attractor. Yeah, and so how has this impacted on your life and your ability to learn? And uh, I, uh, you know, knowing being good mates, I know you've been on a bit of a journey. 
and four kids and the whole drama. You got four life. kids as well. Yeah. You look like you're 16. How does that work? This is true. Still I look like I'm 80. <laughs> <laughs> Not next week. Mate. Not next you, week. You'll be, I'll be you'll 79. Be... <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that um, I've known Chris since 2001. I'd like to tell a little story. I remember the first time I met you. Yeah. And uh, I was working as a behaviour management specialist up at Townsville. And I'm sitting at my desk and yeah. uh, in walks is, you know, Kieran's quite a beautiful man. He's uh, a very attractive individual, isn't he? Yeah, women tend to, to love him. It's been an interesting experience to sit and walk <laughs> he, and he hang out He goes red as well. Oh, he does. He does. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I'm sitting at the table doing my work, slogging away as, as Dixon tends to. And in comes Burn and he's having this interview with our female um, boss at the time. And she's asking him questions. And for the life of me, I'm just sitting at the desk thinking, Kieran seems to be trying not to get this job. You know how you sell yourself, <laughs> how you try to build yourself up, how I really want this, this is my passion. Kieran's responses were, well, you know, maybe if it suits or uh, I'll have a think about it. Or, you know, really just, <laughs> just doing everything he could not to get the job. He ended up getting the job and started a beautiful friendship with me. But it was a very interesting experience for me to witness it. You got, I've always wanted to ask you about that. Have you, you got anything you want to say about yeah, that? So yeah, so after that point, Chris leaves out the fact he decided to tear me down at every opportunity <laughs> that he had for the next 17 years. And, and it's, oh, I'm <laughs> not sure that's how I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Which has been fantastic because, as you know, Helps, you know, you want people to uh, challenge your understanding of who you are and, and how you see the world. And, you know, I'm really grateful that, you know, Chris decided that he cared enough to do that and to say, you know what, like, you know, this is actually not how I... Man with a big heart sitting over there, mate. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, I'm, I'm really lucky to have known him since then. And the whole self-determination thing, I guess, was um, was, was part of that journey as well. Uh, once you start realising that you can do things differently uh, and you do that yourself, then uh, I guess if you can help other people too, they're on that journey as well, that they can change themselves for the better and it's in their control, then um, yeah, that's a really cool thing to be able to help people with. Uh, and so self-determination theory really gave me a structure to do that. So was there something that clicked? Like, did you just realise, oh, actually, should do that? Yeah, no, um, I'm really lucky that um, I guess, you know, whatever, whatever you believe in God, I believe in God, but you know, the universe or whatever it is puts things in your world at certain times. There's um, that word again. <laughs> oh, no. I know, I, know, you oh, I, know. I was waiting for it. What words? God. The G word. The G yeah, word. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I believe in God and, my faith at school and you know, just by myself and waiting before school and after school in the chapel and sort of just trying to work out life and anyway but from that point like I think that I've been really blessed that I've been able to things just click when they click and so I was at a tournament um, coaching uh, under 15 they used to be like these rep teams and um, the manager of the team uh, we became good friends and he was a lecturer at UQ we were just talking, having a chat. He's like, hey, look, I think I know another guy who'd be really interested in what you're talking about, how you're coaching. Um, he was a lecturer at uh, yeah, UQ. His name was Cliff Mallet, And they put me in contact with him, and he put me into self-determination theory, which is one of his passions, and autonomous mode of learning environments. And um, that's where it started. So it's mm -hmm. kind of just, yeah, lucky. And then it just clicked, and you thought, clicked wow, and that worked. That, well, it all fit in. So it was yeah, like yeah. that theory just all kind of slotted together. together. Yeah, oh. so it's kind of like... And I love the fact that it has a sporting competitive kind of edge, but I'm more interested in the fact that 
how you've used this through the dark times over the last 10 years because there have been some tough periods and uh, you know it's that self-inquiry that self-learning that self-determination you know that reviewing you know falling yeah. into the pile of shit shall we say and you know picking ourselves up and you know that's where this theory really kind of gets its ground doesn't it yeah so uh, some of the dark times for me uh, my daughter's kidneys failing mm-hmm. so um she she has a rare condition and wants a vision impairment and then when she was about five you know kidney, both kidneys down three percent they failed and you know that's obviously very challenging at that point out of the blue thought we had so we had four kids three years older and younger you know so really close things in there and so we my wife and i we really um yeah just sort of buckled down and decided just do what's best at the time and uh, yeah my wife's an amazing person does all this naturally so she's like Everything I'm talking about. Mine too. Yeah, so it's <coughs> a few leaks here. This is really interesting. It's pretty funny when you yeah. meet people who just do stuff naturally. But mm-hmm. I've got a, a theory, so she just does it. Yeah, she, right yeah way. just happened. Well, we talked about my context last week, so I wanted to say my two as well. My wife has the resilience gene, but we're in a very interesting space, so we'll see about that. Yeah. But uh, she does have the resilience gene. They, these women tend to be able to dig down deep, don't they? Yeah. yeah, but how did the theory itself, how did you work with the theory to, to keep yourself centered in this yeah. space? Um, I think um, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of structure around the theory, clearly helps, um, but also just, I guess, it, it provides you with the ability to reflect on yourself and why you're doing things. Um, in those dark times, um, this theory, combined with some of the other people we've talked about, Muji and, and some other people, I was able to say, okay, you know, this is what I thought was happening, and then your world falls apart. It's actually not like that at all. And then you say, you know what, how do I want this to be? And you can kind of recreate whatever you like. And uh, I chose to, you know, do this, I guess, positive psychology, you know, um, uh, I guess, methodology. Yeah, and recreated how I was. So, so it helps you reframe after each experience, doesn't it? So yeah, we, we see a different perspective. Shoot it. a three pointer, miss it reframe yeah go on a long life hit a brick wall reframe it's really about picking up pieces and starting again yeah. looking at what your barriers are to moving forward and growth isn't it yeah so not only do you when you're coaching kids through this process but you're also coaching them how to overcome and deal with issues in their life and we're seeing a lot of sportsmen now you know finish their careers and, and feel this emptiness because they've been so external externally motivated yeah motivated yeah. And so, yeah, it's really good stuff like that. Like, um, when I practice in clinical, you know, practice, when you, when you meet people who have been operating in the optimal environment, so they're, they're really good at what they're doing, they know exactly what they're doing, everything makes sense, and then something happens and they no longer have that environment, you know, to realize that, okay, that was actually a thing, like being in that optimal place, and that was great. But now, how do we recreate a new version? So, yeah, it's been really helpful. So, this is really about a cognitive environment, isn't it? emotionally environment creating the conditions for you to continue to move forward and to grow when we could easily kind of deconstruct and collapse this kind of creates that space to you know it's like fertilizer for for growth yeah yeah and, and as i said like i think the often by providing like structure and, and, and boundaries and things that people can lock into connect to rather than just being um example um <clears throat> so for example if you're talking about someone who know was in, in the war and they were you know um, working say for example as an engineer you know so in the front of, of, of um, the battle and, and, and 
there's all this stuff going on and so everything's just firing 100%. Come back to you know, Australia, no one understands it. There's, there's um, low, you know, there's no pressure, you're not getting shot at, none of those things. So they just feel like they're maxed or let down or just like they're not functioning 100%. You can identify, you know, the optimal um, boundaries and environment they were operating in and explain why they feel isolated, disappointed, people don't understand where they're coming from, you know, and, and provide them with um, explanations as to why those people may not see it and why they see it a certain way. So it provides you with a narrative for the, for the environment, for the context. Yeah, which, which creates meaning and then they can, you know, um, from that meaning they can make a decision. Holy dooly, we're slipping into a bit of narrative therapy right now, aren't we? It's a combination. So, yeah. well, what are you making of this big fella? Because I know you've been on your own journey. Yeah, very okay. much so. And we've been working with that. And we've yep. decided, or you've decided, to get motivated and to I lose have. a few yeah, kgs. Yeah, made, made a bit of a life change. Although you're a magnificent specimen, as we talked about, maybe. Substantial know, some specimen. <laughs> Ten years down the track might be an issue. But uh, so you're working on it. So how, 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 how might you use these theories to better, you know, evolve through that process? Um, I, I like the whole inverse x yeah like, I like I'm, I mean, I'm starting to learn that myself and it's like yeah people and I, I suppose all my life i've been told what to do and like i played footy at a pretty high level and stuff like that and like was coached as you do this you run your 4ks you do this you do this but and all that stuff as opposed to doing it in that different environment that really intrigues me and i, I mentioned earlier before we went on air that i um i used to coach basketball myself at a pretty high level um yeah. Brett Brown was actually one of my um, one of my mentors at the time, and now he's obviously with the 76ers, So should have stayed doing that, I reckon. Anyway, that's one of those things in life. Yeah, but um, I, I I don't know. I just I just think well, I think I like the way for Kieran to work you through a bit of a process. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Okay, so let's do that. We've got a big fella here. He's tried dieting. He's tried exercise. Yo-yo dieter, am We uh, have this saying where he likes to. We, when he's in his down phases, he turns his steering wheel into a pack of chips. Yeah. So we're going along. He's going really well. He's lost a couple of kilos. He's been at this spot before. And then all of a sudden he thinks, well, I'm going to treat myself and stop off at home and get a couple of Red Bulls and maybe a pack of chips and uh, eat them before he gets home. Now, this has a, a backlog and a history about his dad owning a lolly shop and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But he's in that spot now. He's highly motivated. He's having some success. But this is usually where the wheels start to tinkle from my experience. Yeah. Ask him some questions, take him through a process. Well, now I like to throw you in on it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So um, <laughs> basically what, what I'd You weren't expecting yeah, to come yeah, in and actually yeah, have no, no, a mental I, session. I wouldn't do anything. But <laughs> what, we, what we normally do is work out, you know, why why the um, the wheels fall off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like is it is it – can you put them back on? You know, I put them so. back on every time. Okay. So and you, I'm, I'm very – I go really high yeah. and I go really low. And what I've been doing with Chris is trying to stay in that little... Stay in the middle. The middle bit. The highs and lows are still there, but they're nowhere near as big or little as they used to be. I think that's an interesting question. I thought you'd keep this on mind. You're yeah. on track. Why do the wheels come off you? Man, I have no idea. Do I have an idea? I actually do have an idea. Well, I want to share. Well, the wheels, the wheels always come off because I think I second-guess myself a yeah. lot. Um, I go back and think too much. Um, and... I look at stuff differently every day. Um, I get bored. I'm, I'm, <laughs> there's the answer. I, yeah. I'm, I'm afraid of boredom. Yeah. Only, only man that's ever actually diagnosed me 
yeah. probably is that I'm afraid of boredom. I've been told I had ADHD, all that sort of stuff. So we're chipping towards our goal. We're moving in the right direction. Everything's going as it should. How many people feel this? And then all of a sudden I start to self-sabotage. Exactly. Self-sabotage it's all about self-sabotage. Because I'm feeling a little bored. Kieran's next question under the theory would be? Um, yeah, what we'd try and put in things in place so that you'd know what to do when you're just, you know, we'd, we'd go into that relax. So it'd be more of the, um, I guess, a lot of the self-termination stuff allows you to bring in a lot of different theories so mm-hmm. you're effective. Something that Chris and I talk a lot about is actually having outcomes, like the getting to where you want to get to and how are we going to do it. And are they goals or are they outcomes? No, no, outcomes. So basically if you want to stop, you know, relapsing, mm. okay, well, it's, you know, like, and that is, you know, binging or whatever you're yep. doing. You say, okay, how do we do that? You know, and you're like, okay, so what are the triggers? You know, how, what, what's the first thing that happens? I'm bored, okay. Okay, so, so like, we break down a little bit more. What is your trigger then? What's the first feeling of boredom that seeps into your soul? That says, no, anytime I'm not doing anything, really. <laughs> it's like, it's sort of, um, Lion, not loneliness, that's oh, the wrong well, word. Well, is I, that I'm, a word? I'm not sure it is. It, is that, that's it fits a word, in with our it? therapeutic history. Yeah. yeah, yeah. it's um, probably like if I, I spend a lot of time on my own in a car or on yeah. aeroplanes or yeah. things like that. And so I sort of, I, I'd rather sit here and have a conversation with you guys than I would sit here on my own working or things like that. So, so you go into a dialogue with a pack of chips. Yeah, I do, yeah. yeah. It helps you feel comforted. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like something else. I suppose like, like a lot of people do with alcohol. It must be very But it reminds thing. me of when you were that little kid and you're on the way home and yeah. mum and dad were working the lolly shop business and you were going home by yourself. And you'd so I just nick a big bag of lollies and hit them on the way home. That would have killed you. It's lucky you didn't do that. But that, that's, you're kind of reliving that in your triggered. Yeah, I'd say so, for sure. Okay. So what would we do with that? Well, see, I mean, so what you're saying, though, is that you're already very motivated. I'm so, rid- so, ridiculously yeah, like, motivated. So, so you have that, you have that um, intrinsic motivation. Now, what we have to work on is... You know, do you value, how much do you value all the outcomes and the things you're trying to achieve? So basically, um, you, you, you end up internalizing these things. Yep. So if you're like, you know what, I want to, yeah, you're losing weight already. So it's all going well, those kind of things. Um, but I've done that many times. Many times. Many, many times. And this is my little thing. The yeah. goal is not enough. The yeah, exactly. Lo- losing the kilo each week is not enough. Mm. But you need to tie it into a more deeper sense of who you are. Yeah. And it's and it's a process. So so I guess again, it's it's um it's a bigger uh, therapeutic kind of session. Mm-hmm. Really identify some of the key. If you think about like a web, we want as many you know connections as possible to these different things so that you can identify value. Um, I think of the right words, but really uh, you've got to you've got to value them more than something else. Yeah, so we don't, I get that. We don't change anything. We don't want to stop doing anything. We so uh, I suppose where I'd go with that is I'd start to, after I've experienced the trigger of the loneliness and the want to turn my uh, steering wheel into a pack of chips, which I love, um, yeah. you'd remind yourself of how connected you are to those who you love. Well, and, well, and then maybe tie it into the fact if you continue on your current path, you're, you're dead. not going to be here. So. Uh, well, I'd, I'd, I would almost say just acknowledge you love chips. I love these chips. I wish the steering wheel was chips. I want to eat some chips. I'm not going to because so you can acknowledge actually. But I think the big thing there is I don't actually love the chips. I think it's more of a habitual thing as well. He's like, that's just what I used to do. But I haven't done it for ages actually. It's just great. But acknowledging it and saying that this is something that I'm, I could do. Yep. You know what I mean? So you're not. I could, but I don't. Yeah. I'm going to choose not to because of this other outcome. Okay. Well, and so Mm -hmm. let's have a look. What would be your other option? Keep keep driving. Well. Bring someone. Yes. Phone a friend. In the car. 
Yeah. See, I'd just focus. I'd be focusing on what, what, why you're dieting in the first place. Because so, I'm a, a, a hum, huge human being at the moment. Exactly. That's, so, that's the reason why, and I'm not, and and also because I know I'm not happy with myself from a physical side of things. More than happily, mentally happy now. I feel feel good. Yeah. But um, I'd say it's more okay. Now I've actually think I've finally realised. Like I've realised a lot of times. Yeah, you got to get skinny. You got to whatever. No, I don't have to get skinny. I got to get. Skinny. I tell you what. I see you as a very powerful human being, as you know, mm. and uh, I love the fact that you're 120 kilos and I'm giving you cuddle. Mm. But um, I wonder what kind of energy levels, what kind of motivation, what kind of outcomes you'd achieve if you're under the 100 kilo limit. Well, how, how good would it be? Oh, how how much more energy you'd have from day to day life? Be great. Or will be great. Can you imagine weeks. that? I mean, that's where I'd go with the intrinsic motivation. I'd yeah. start you to imagine what life would be like. Without the extra twenty, kilos. and I think I'm doing that now. Like I'm doing the intermittent fasting. I'm real, I love that. I thought I would never not be able to eat because I love food, and like my favourite food is that whole degustation meal. You know, you just get the tastes and stuff. That's beautiful. It's not a big amount of food, but it's just all that taste. Whereas, um, yeah, no, I, I'm this fasting thing is awesome. You get so much energy. You sort of you're feeling good, and it's um, and you have two big feasts a day. Great, beautiful. You're on the path, brother. I am. But that's just a little it. example of what how we work the self-determination. Uh, yeah, yeah, so so basically, the whole idea is that you identify where you want to go, and then try and put as many pieces into place behind to get there. To I get like there. that web analogy. Yeah. That's really cool. And like build it and up. Because what it. happens with a web if this bit breaks off, you have still got all the other angles, haven't you? Uh, like Call that. a friend. I like that. So it's about yeah. having many different angles to help through those different ones. Yeah, yeah. remember which one to buy. I've, I've got my own motivations, Timmy. You know, I'd like you to yeah. help me out with them, Dean. Maybe you can yeah. give me a label for it. Do you mind if I eat some chicken while we, while yeah, we do yeah, this? Yeah, Thanks, guys. <laughs> boom, boom. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, uh, I, I tend not to focus on goals. Goals yeah. tend to be a bit of a disappointment for me. So when I focus on, let's say, running half a marathon, I'll train for it, I'll do it, I'll run it. Not that I ever have. But um, to achieve the goal, once the goal's moved and passed, I kind of feel deflated, depressed and lose inspiration for me now the training itself the way it makes me feel after each and every interaction with, with the training whether it be yoga or tai chi or exercising for me that itself is enough no i don't know what we can call it we can call it enough theory but it's about that internal motivation just to get out there and live without actually achieving anything you know I'm just you know we've had this conversation many times so why not why not me yeah well, i think that um uh, the biggest uh, I guess sabotage you can to your motivation is to is just to focus on the outcome, because if the outcome is per, uh, purely external, once you achieve it, then that motivation is gone because you've achieved it. Yeah. Whereas if it's about your personal journey, your personal development, and all the other things involved in um in the process to get to that outcome, then they're things you value. They're things that you um can invest in, and you can actually um yeah focus on. And then use into the next uh, situation, and then you yeah. learn that process. So it's less about sacrifice for the goal, and more about investment in loving and living your life. Exactly. Yeah. And Great. if you love your training, yeah. And if you love working at a basketball, or if you love uh, doing your masters, then it's not working at all, and you're really limited. Yeah. And but all if the little you feel like you're that. making a sacrifice, and if you're doing that for an external goal, then it's always going to be a stop-start kind of. So, so dieting is not really about achieving a certain weight. 
it's about living a more healthy life. Yeah, and, and everything else involves. I mean, that's one aspect of it. And then, you know, you can think about your family, you can think about, you know, your clothes, you can think about all these other things that actually allow you to um, get that that's intrinsically motivated. So it's all those great things you feel about Great and sweat. You're tying these knots yeah. together. You're interconnecting your whole framework into the reason why I'm trying to bench press another five kilos. Exactly. How do you explain that to a 18-year-old um, kid? How do, how do you introduce this? Good question. To a kid? Well, kids kids um, get it probably more than adults because kids' worlds are interwoven. Is that because they're still so close to that intrinsic bit we spoke about at the very start uh, and they haven't been influenced that much yet? Uh, probably probably they, they haven't um, had to sacrifice, you know, like with work and those kind of things. They haven't had to really make decisions about I'm going to work here or I'm going to do these things so that I can – but I'm going to sacrifice all these other things. Mm -hmm. Like you, you, you're still at home usually. You still have your, you know, your family supporting you. You still have all these other things that are happening. And you can still make some decisions. You know, but how do you introduce that? that? Like, what you sit down with your team, start of the season, we walk in the room, and coach has just arrived. Okay, guys, we do things a bit differently here. Yep. How, how's that speech go? Um, is okay. it pre thought out, or do you just no, get up there and just? It depends on the group. It depends who they are. So basically, depending on your ability to make decisions, it mm -hmm. depends on how much structure you provide. So, but you personally, like you, you walk in your new team for the year because obviously yeah. every year you get a new team. So what it means, the guys. So the guys are really um, self uh, already motivated, make really good decisions. They're already you know on top of it. They're, mm -hmm. they're a great unit. Then I can do a whole bunch of different things with them than guys who say, for example, just want to be told what to do. Okay, that makes so, sense. So the actual ability to make choice and decisions and and um, feel like you're empowered, um, you know, autonomous in the, in those choices. Um, the ability to do that allows me as a coach to structure the environment accordingly. Nice. Okay. I think sometimes there's a bit of fear in the community that once you empower young people to think and make decisions for themselves, that they might just decide, I don't want to play basketball. And, and there is, and, and that happens a lot. So parents empower kids, do you want to do this? And the kids say no. And they're like, but you have to. Well, they're going to quit anyway because they don't want to do it. But yeah, so there is that. You have to because I did. Exactly. Yeah, well, I played footy. You got to play footy, son. Come on, get in there. Absolutely. So yeah, when you empower people to make choices, then you have to be ready to um, work through the consequences, work through those choices. I'm going through that at the moment. It's really interesting. My um, eldest daughter is really good at football, soccer, and um, we're looking. She's the laziest person on the planet, but she's also really good at football. She enjoys. I'm doing sure that. you're not, but. Uh... Oh, she might be. When she listens, she'll yell at me. But we tell her about it all the time. Uh, I'll <laughs> speak directly to her. What's her name? <laughs> Tabitha. <laughs> Tabitha? Yeah, I'm sure you're awesome. <laughs> no, she is awesome. But the thing is, like, so we're talking to her about options now in the future. And we spoke to a um, an agent from the US about her going to play football in college in the US. And um, the big thing my wife kept saying to me, this is her choice, not my cho like, not your choice. And I'm sitting there going, no, I understand that, love. Like. But we need to give her the most amount of – like, I'd love her to go. I'd love her to do this because I would love the opportunity when I was a kid. But at the same time, having that as a child, having that opportunity for your child, I sit there now and think I'd love to push her, but I don't because it's her decision. It's hard. It's hard work. It's so I've, been, I've been through this myself and it's, it's really difficult. And you need to uh, – I suppose where we're at in my family context is to encourage kids to find their own passion. Yeah, very but much. It's about how much you guide them, especially when they're not sure what that is. And, how much freedom you give them to explore. And, uh, so is that harder or easier if they're not your kids? 
you're coaching these young, you're really, you're a big influence on this group of young men. Because I know when I, when I grew up and I played basketball and my basketball coach was like my second dad because I saw him four times. Well, you probably saw him more than dad anyway. And you're a massive influence on these kids' lives. Is it harder for you not to do that than it is for a parent to do that? Well, I don't know. Well, I'd have to speak from the, uh, the disengaged um, sportsman who was probably fairly good at a few things but didn't feel like coaches really knew who I was or what I wanted to achieve as a person mm-hmm. and not knowing that. So it was kind of alienated from me. We did the sport, we did this, but they were kind of t- turning me, I felt, into a carbon copy. And what I really wanted to do was take the time to find out. No, so you were talking about before is kind of doing it different. Yeah. And I think that's back in our day when um, when we were getting taught, it was like, this is how you do it. This is how you make an athlete. This is how you do that. Whereas if you can think differently, I think you're a winner, personally. Yeah. I think it's very sexy in the motivational game at the moment. So uh, my supervisor said the other day, this intrinsic motivation got to be because we've had so many athletes. Because this transition period of the end of the career is where some of this uh, determination stuff comes into vogue, isn't it? How do you transition from a sporting career career to a business career? How do you let something go and start again using the same skills you've used? It's, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, it builds a lot of resilience and perspective. So you, you also don't think that you've wasted all that time. Like, you know, that was great. Now what do I do? I'm empty. You kind of know that the whole thing is a process. You're learning all this stuff and I can apply the rest of my life because I've done these things. So, yeah, it's really, um, as I said, there's, there's a lot of research around it, you know, the... Um, benefits to people generally as opposed to just achieving outcomes and it's yeah it's how how has it uh, you know i know we're getting close to finishing up but uh, how has it improved your life master um yeah i think that i think that the the best thing that's done for me is is allow me to see that uh, i guess you like i've got three kids you know like so so how you interact with them um you know when do you give them choices? How do you support them? How do you work them through their choices? I talk about um, consequence, all those things. As a parent, it's really been effective. Um, as a husband, it's been really awesome because you're allowed to um, have conversations. You don't think you're always right. You're like, okay, well, you know, there's some things that I think this is how I'd like for it to happen, but other things you can negotiate more clearly because you understand that everyone sees the world differently. And um, in the end, me winning and me losing probably isn't the best outcome anyway. Oh, so you get, um, that's nice, isn't it? There are no winners or losers. Man. No. There's no right or wrong. No, it's, it's simply a process and a journey. The whole thing's a process. What do you think of that, big fella? <laughs> I'm, I'm here now. Oh, I really am. Because, yeah, I, I, like, <laughs> like, I could win all day, but in the end, you know, I'm sinking in the moment. So, yeah, yeah so wanna, true. You know, I've got to find a way that... Look at Master. Mate, looking at you, though, not a chance of you being single or lonely for a long time. Very attractive man. Oh, you haven't met his wife yet. She's a bit of a looker as well. Oh, so okay. she'd do all See, right. they always, so it's like me and my wife, two very attractive humans. Oh, just exactly. the way it works. Adding well done, mate. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> mate, uh, to, to wrap up, what did you think of the big head? Mate, I have to admit that there's a reason we bought, we got the big head today. Low carb. No carb. Zero yeah, no carb. No carb. Zero carb. My uh, f- physical therapist, let's call him that, is a chiropractor. Okay. He told me that every one of these big head beers has got one gram, um, some protein in it, right? So he said that, so there's got no sugar and none of that sort of stuff in it, but it's got protein in it. So he told me if you have 20 of these, it's the same as having a protein shake. So I've gone home and said to my wife, honey, Josh, who she thinks highly of, 
told me I have to have a protein shake every day. And she goes, oh, that's great. I said, 20 big heads a day. <laughs> yeah, it didn't go down very well. <laughs> <laughs> but, mate, uh, favourite that... beer. I, I have to admit, it's my favourite beer. I really enjoy it. It's, uh, I love the fact that it doesn't make me fatter. Um, it probably does if you drink too much of it. But at the same time, it's a, it's a good no-carb beer. You got an image for me? Yeah, right in the front. Have you seen it? Seen the size of the noggin? Big head. That's your image. That's my image. Everyone should check that out. What's um, your what am out I going to say? Number out of five. I'd like to change the five. I think we need to go to ten. I don't think you five, went to ten the other day. I anyway. did because yeah. it felt more natural. Oh, well, yeah, five, five, out of 10. Doesn't, five doesn't give me a lot of space. Yeah. Um, I found it was an interesting drink. I found I enjoyed it, but it wasn't. Uh, it was better for me than 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 the taste. Was, oh, there, fair. So I felt a little empty about the taste. So what I, are you giving it? I'll probably give it a Because it's so good for me, a six and a half. But the because taste. It, purely just on beer value, I'll give it a five. Really? Okay. Well, good for me, I give it a sort of six or seven. And taste them around the snow. It's quite a nice beer. I quite enjoy that one. There you go. Thanks very much for coming in, Master Bill. Thank you for inviting me. We will uh, catch up at another time and continue the journey. Uh, this is how it is. Welcome to the third beer. Thank you. That was awesome. Great to meet you. Thanks, champion. Cheers. Peace.